Association. 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 That was such uber ponage. Hello, fellow nerds from the studios of WBNS FM in Columbus, Ohio. It's the Nerd Association podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Barnett. And I'm your other host, Mark Finch. And here at Nerd Association, stop. We're done with that. We're cool now. That's what we decided. And you're cool, too, for listening. (laughs) Everybody is cool. It's cool, man. Except for people who don't like nerd stuff. Nerd is cool now. Sports are lame, but I still like sports, (laughs) so that makes me lame. So I don't know how that works out. It balances out in the end, right? You got, you know, you got to have that. I guess you got to have that balance in your life. Sure. The 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 lame and cool. It's like the yin and yang of, yeah. I don't know pop culture. Yeah. Whatever. You got to stay humble. (laughs) Sure. That's me staying humble. All right, Daniel. Yes. What do you think of when I say, quack, 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 quack? Rejected audition tapes for Donald Duck. Incorrect. <laughs> no, I'm here. I, I know you. I know what you're referring to, though. I wouldn't know what you were referring to if I didn't know you were referring to it, because you're talking about the Mighty Ducks, which is a film I've never seen. <laughs> Man, I there know. are three of them. I know there are three of them. And I've never seen any of the films. I should, you know, I should say. And it uh, it starts off with. Uh, Gordon Bombay, which is played by Emilio Estevez, has to do community service because he gets a DUI. And this is how a kid's movie starts. He's a high, he's like a high-priced lawyer, and he gets a DUI. And then he gets sentenced to community service, so he coaches this peewee hockey team. It's just like a ragtag group of kids. They win the championship. And uh, then there were two other movies where they, in the third one, they, like, go to high school and stuff. And in the second one, they compete in this, like, junior Olympics, and they win they win that so they're exciting if you like hockey they're fun to watch but i mean they're they're kids movies they're pg so they they've got a lot of goofiness to them but that's not all we're talking about today in fact can i hit you with one okay what do you think of when i say they call me mr tibbs well i would have thought of practically nothing but you told me about this before (laughs) we got on the air uh, uh, again but it Makes me. I feel like I've heard that line um, parodied, probably parodied. Yeah. Yes. Uh, doesn't a uh, Buzz Lightyear says it in in Toy Story when he thinks he's at the tea party? They call me Mrs. Tidbit. Yeah. Well, and then of course another one we could throw in in this, this juncture to keep uh, tantalizing our audiences. Hello there. Uh, is a, a little quotable excerpt from Star Wars: Revenge of the Sith. But should yes. we should we get to the point? Should we cut to the chase here? I mean, I Let's could also start. I could also start beating my chest like King Kong. That doesn't translate as well over podcasts. So, so the point of our podcast today is we're talking about big blockbuster type movies and just movies in general. But the the main reason why we came across this topic was because there seems to be this trend now that's been around, but being more embraced by the bigger movies. Now where you have a movie, it's successful. You have a movie series and it's successful. And now these studios and creators and everything are embracing the television show. And why is that such a big thing right now? Why is it something that's, that's coming up more and more, especially with bigger franchises like a star Wars? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today here on Nerd Association. Yeah, and it's you could say that it has to do with with the pandemic and more people staying home for their entertainment, but you have to look at things like uh, the Mandalorian was in production before before COVID nineteen was ever a thing, right? That was one of the the, the most the biggest most recent examples of 
a film franchise getting a television series. I think the first season was out before the pandemic, like yeah. before shutdown started and everything. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um, so I think we have to roll it back just a little bit to just say this is the age of streaming services. Mm-hmm. And companies, big media companies, are realizing that even before there were reasons we had to stay home, people are choosing to stay home and watch these sorts of things instead of going out and spending you know, lots of money on movie theaters. Not that that's ever... Well, we've talked about whether or not that will ever go away. But point being, why are they doing it now? Especially, you know, you look at Disney with Star Wars and Marvel. Those are two that are are really on people's minds right now. You mentioned The Mighty Ducks, which is is also a Disney property, right? Correct. So, you know, Mighty Ducks is getting a television show. We alluded to uh, In the Heat of the Night for an older example, the Sidney Poitier movie from the late 60s it got its own television show for a while mash was an example of this back in the day um and based on our research king kong was one of the earliest maybe not the but one of the earliest examples of a blockbuster film getting some sort of television series and of course king kong and godzilla and those films have been adapted to death across and of course we'll be talking about that soon too uh (laughs) spoiler alert you know we're going to be talking about uh you know, Godzilla versus King Kong at some point. So in any case, For sure. why now and what's the appeal? What's the appeal of doing the television series as opposed to uh, as opposed to just the movie franchise? And I think, too, it's worth maybe going a little bit more in depth on some of the series that are either coming out right now or, or being proposed right now. So I know you're excited about the Mighty Ducks. Uh, what do you know about the TV show? so far i know nothing so you this this is all you buddy <laughs> it's the uh it's the f- the first episode of the tv show came out last friday on disney plus and it's you know it, it's probably a, a kid show technically speaking and you know a lot of the disney plus stuff also you know it doesn't get too in depth with like the adult content but this one especially because it comes from a kids movie but there's a a certain bit of nostalgia of course for people my age and a, and a little bit younger the first mighty ducks movie came out in the early 90s the last one came out i believe in 96 so i would be one of the the younger people who really like grew up with with mighty ducks but then it was everywhere it had it already technically had a tv show but it was that spinoff was like completely different they were like they were real ducks and it was a cartoon and they were they would like ice skate and stuff, but they were really like crime fighters. So yeah. I don't even know if they were on a hockey team or what. But th- so that was the first show. The new show is a, I guess I'll just call it a nor. It's, it's definitely not a remake because it, it it lives in this universe. But we haven't found out for sure like how soft of a reboot it is, whether or not it ignores like the second and third movie or anything like that. It yeah. just for sure. It has the first movie because coach Gordon Bombay is there and he's, you know, he's sworn off hockey, but then it's a new ragtag kit. The one thing I like about it is, uh, well, not the one thing, but one of the things I like about it is that it took the ducks and now the ducks are the bad guys. So they're like the Hawks from the original movie who were the, the team that was dominant and took the, you know, children's youth yeah. sports a little bit yeah. too seriously. And it wasn't about having fun anymore and all this stuff. So now the ducks are like that after you, after 20, 30 years of being this elite peewee program hockey in Minnesota. And that's the whole thing that, that holds it all together is that it's in Minnesota, but I liked it. And I thought they've kept a little bit of the nineties edge to it because children's content, the nineties was the last decade where children's content had a little bit of that, that, uh definitely the 80s had for sure as well but just a little bit more of an edge that makes it more entertaining to the adults and doesn't treat the kids with kid gloves the whole time 
Well, right. I mean, I think the 90s was maybe maybe the most dominant decade of like children's content and and a little bit into the 2000s. But like studios were primarily making things for kids and then they would throw in the in jokes for adults. That yeah, like the Power Rangers movie was a tentpole of like Fox one summer. It was like a summer blockbuster, the Power Rangers movie, the yeah. first one, which is crazy to think now. I don't I mean, well, now they do it, but it's they when they made the new Power Rangers movie, it wasn't really a kids movie. It was like kind of a darker reboot for teenager to adult audiences. Right. And not to um we've talked about it so many times before, but it sounds like Mighty Ducks is using the Cobra Kai model. Yes. The villains from the original films are now uh, are now the well, at least maybe let's put the heroes, that. heroes the are now film. kind of the bad guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little bit of that for sure. Which is very interesting. Of course, um you know, we can't talk about Disney and these franchises without talking a little bit about uh you know, we said The Mandalorian. Obviously on the Marvel side of things, WandaVision and now Falcon and Winter Soldier. We've talked about WandaVision, we've talked about Mandalorian. Have you been keeping up with Falcon and Winter Soldier? Yeah, for those listening, this will come out, you know, by at least the third episode being out. But upon recording, we have the first two episodes. Right. I've been watching. um, For me, it's not the Marvel stuff I like. I don't really like the gritty, like real military squabbling and the uh, the the. I like, for example, I don't care about like all the internal conflicts of the Sokovia Accords and like talking about. I just I don't care about that stuff in my superhero. Yeah, in my superhero movies, and like that's in there. Not that I don't care about that stuff in general, but I, you know, it doesn't really need to be. So it hasn't been my cup of tea so far. But I do like this this new Captain America. I like the direction that's going a little bit, and I'm still I'm still enjoying it. But I would say I liked WandaVision more. I think I suspect that um, Falcon and Winter Soldier will. WandaVision, you had to watch like the first three episodes to get into it, I felt like. And I had the advantage of watching the first three episodes all at once. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a feeling the next episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier, which again will have dropped by the time this does, is going to be the one that sort of starts tying the threads together. You're going to yeah. start seeing, you know. You're going to be seeing Bucky and Sam more on the same page as opposed to kind of frenemies because they're going to have this common goal of of John Walker as Captain America that they really distrust and dislike. And, of course, um, we know from the previews that they're going to get the shield back because there are scenes of them practicing with it. Uh, so how that's going to happen, how Captain America will become U.S. agent almost inevitably in this, at least in the series, if not in this season, Shout out for the Marvel comic nerds who know what that I can is. Also, I can also see how Falcon and Winter Soldier scratched an itch right away that people, the, a lot of people who were detracting from WandaVision thought it was like slow and boring. Now, I appreciated the the homages to the, to the old TV shows and stuff like that, but that doesn't mean that everybody has to. It's not exactly what the Marvel you know, universe is supposed to be about. So the Falcon and Winter Soldier started right away with, with big action. So I yeah. think people really appreciated that and i like the action too so i mean that was an exciting scene it's just there's something about like when it like gets too real world for me that it loses me a little bit i do think falcon and winter soldier and i want to save the thematic stuff for a little bit later which is going to kind of answer the question why tv shows from movie franchises but let's hold that for a sec um i do think falcon and winter soldier is going to be a really good setup of how the world views views superheroes and views the events of the blip and getting the getting a sort of taste of what normal people thought about that. We've already gotten a little bit of it, 
mm-hmm. especially with the flag smashers, uh, which I suspect are given the worst terrorist organization name in history on purpose. I think they're probably a false flag operation, but okay. again, we'll see. There's my one prediction that I'll give you now. I think they're probably a false flag operation uh, covering up something more nefarious or more sinister, but we'll we'll talk about that in a you know few weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's interesting the way that it set up the next phase of Marvel's films. And of course, right now, that is, we know that Marvel is doing that from WandaVision, and we it's hard to believe they aren't going to do it with Falcon and Winter Soldier, doing some world building for us so that they don't have to do all of it in the upcoming movies, letting us know about, you know, these powerful multiverse forces that are out there with WandaVision and then also the political uh, feelings of, you know, how people view superheroes in the Marvel universe, which I think, as we've talked before, is going to really set up uh, the introduction of X, the X-Men when they come. And not to be discounted, this is their second go-around with it. You know, Marvel sometimes gets this golden reputation of, like, always getting everything right and doing everything perfect, and it's always been written down on a golden scroll since 2008 when they came out with Iron Man. That's not so. They had the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which mm-hmm. was on ABC. They had the Netflix ones, which I believe... I never really watched any of those. They were in-universe, but they didn't really include any of the things they would just like reference like the battle of new york right and things like that is that correct right but they, it doesn't sound like tony stark showed up in an episode of luke cage or just things like that yeah so. the series that were on netflix and these sort of other appendant series that weren't directly under disney's under the you know, kevin feige and all that um those weren't as well received and and i think at this point they're almost considered not canon Except for, of yeah, course, think- the few de- the few tidbits they wanted to keep because of, you know, fan favorite characters and, that, you know, all that. Yeah. Well, what I like about how they're doing it now is that they're all on Disney Plus. And, yeah, it's it's much more in line with the cinematic universe. I mean, these aren't just side entries. They do build out the world and help with that. But they're, you know, just right in line with the phases of the Marvel cinematic universe they're just in television show format instead of movie format so and they're all on disney plus you don't have to tune into abc tuesday nights at 8 30 or whatever right to make sure you get it and you don't have to make sure you watch a, a show that has a bunch of episodes throughout the season so that you understand what's going on in thor 4 or whatever that comes out uh, you know another good example of this that is upcoming is the lord of the rings series that amazon is producing yep which obviously the Lord of the Rings didn't start as a as a film franchise. It started as a series of books. And I guess, I mean, we can say that about Marvel too. It started as comic books. But of course, this will be the first time that, that the Lord of the Rings has ever got, you know, been greenlit for a television series. And mm-hmm. events of this show, to the best of our knowledge, are going to be taking place in the second age of Middle-earth. Whereas everything we've seen so far in The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings books is in the third age. So several thousand years before all those events is the time frame in which we think that the Amazon series of Lord of the Rings is going to be taking place and telling probably the story of how Sauron went from being the sort of lieutenant of the bigger bad that came in the first age, Morgoth, and kind of became his own bad guy and introducing you to some of the you know far descendants of Aragorn, for instance, we might see the first instance of the the wizards coming to Middle Earth. Chops, how we haven't done a Lord of the Rings lore episode yet is beyond me. Uh, because I think we've talked about this before. I've never <laughs> sat down and watched all three of the Lord of the Rings. 
I'm not versed in Lord of the Rings. I'm that annoying guy. My wife loves me, fortunately, but I'm that annoying guy who's like, well, you know, that that line is a reference to this thing from the Silmarillion when these characters <laughs> you, you've never heard of otherwise did this cool thing. And then I have to push up my glasses uh, to keep them from just like sliding down so far they fall off my face. Anyway, <laughs> all that is to say, uh, we are finally in a time period where not only is this becoming an accepted thing. I mean, Game of Thrones is the for, uh, in a way, big way, a forerunner for taking a huge fantasy book property uh, and turning it into a television series, right? And yeah. so I have a feeling the Lord of the Rings is going to be taking a lot of cues from that. <laughs> and it's also the first time the Tolkien estate has gr- allowed something like this to happen. And the movies are too big now where you can't you can't go like strictly by the books. I'm thinking like too like if Harry Potter ever came out with a series, they you know, they'd use the books for a lot of their building, but there'd have to be certain things that were like only present in the movies that you have to make the thing. I feel like in the show or else you're going to alienate some of your audience because most people have seen the movies but not read the books. Sure, I I do I will say that you underestimate the amount of material that Tolkien wrote in his lifetime. Um, true. <laughs> there is there is more than they could ever cover in 10 se- seasons of a television show. I'm not saying they I'm not saying they put out of things. I'm just saying if there were differences that sure. they chose for the movie as opposed to the book, I think they have to roll with what they chose in the movie. Well, and the nice thing for them is because the events of the television series are 2000 years before the events of the movies. <laughs> There's not going to be too many of those. <laughs> you may see a few characters you recognize cuz elves live forever. But otherwise, uh-huh. these are going to be completely new characters. And Sauron, of course, I did say him. He'll be there because he's Sauron's essentially like a a demi demi god or like a high level angel. If you want to try to relate it to a religion that people are familiar with, okay. But in any case, you're not going to have too many common threads as far as characters go. You're going to certainly get references to things that will influence the movies and you know the Hobbit and and the Lord of the Rings. But they're so far disconnected that. Imagine being the script supervisor for the Lord of the Rings series. Oh, God, I'd love that job. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love that. I, I, trust me, there are people out there, I, and I, who have such encyclopedic knowledge of the Silmarillion and the Unfinished Tales and the Lost Books and now all the novels that have been pieced together from Tolkien's notes and letters and things. I mean, it, it would be a full-time job. You could be a, you could be a Tolkien. I mean, there are Tolkien historians and Tolkien librarians essentially who that yeah. is their thing. Tolkien scholar. Yeah. I wonder like what properties have been able to be at the level where they have scholars, probably like Star Trek. Cause it has like the Klingon language that people actually know and everything like that. Star Wars is definitely at that level with all the additional novels. I feel like the Game of Thrones world will eventually be there, especially if he never finishes these books and they have to do like what you said yeah. with Tolkien, where they're trying to piece together his ideas from what he does have written down. I don't know how old George R. R. Martin is, but he's not going very fast with the next installment. Well, and of course, you know the story that he did tell Benioff and Weiss what his plans were for the trajectory because he feared he could die before he got the books written. It could be a smokescreen, though. He could have a whole different ending. Could be. Well, especially when, uh, who, who knows how close there the series ending was to the book's anticipated ending. And with that reception, he might change mm-hmm. some things. Who knows? Yeah, I, <laughs> you were talking about, like, the depth of lore. Uh, Game of Thrones certainly is similar to Lord of the Rings. George R. R. Martin admits that he intended to 
mimic Tolkien in that way. Star Trek is probably, like you said, with mm-hmm. the Klingon language, is a pretty good, pretty good cognate. Which, by the way, good job, like, yeah, picking up on the idea that Klingon is in fact a real language that, well, a created language, but aren't all languages created that people actually speak? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, well, because it's always the joke in like popular culture, whenever anybody's like a super nerd, it's like, oh, they speak Klingon. But like, that's because there are people who, you know, go to Star Trek conventions and everything. And yeah, have figured out because there's enough media to it that figured out how to speak Klingon. So good, good for those people being a Star Trek scholar. I I respect it. Uh, and, and as far as Tolkien's concerned, Sindarin and Quenya are dialects of Elvish. And he, he has two fully flushed out dialects of that, plus Dwarvish, plus some other other, you know, um, Numenorean words. But point being, you can speak mm-hmm. Sindarin or you can speak Quenya, you know, fully flushed out languages <laughs> Tolkien wrote. In fact, he wrote the languages to then and then wrote the books to have a place to use his languages. Fun fact. In any wow. case. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> the thing that got us talking about doing this episode uh, was the announcement that the Kenobi series, the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, is in production. They announced the cast listing and, of course, you know, writer, director, producers, yep. things like that. And you all know how much I love Star Wars, so I we thought it would be worth it for us to talk about what is maybe, as for among Star Wars fans, I kind of think that the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is more anticipated or certainly was more anticipated than even the sequel trilogy in some ways. You know, when Disney bought star Wars, there was announced this announcement that they were going to be making, Mm -hmm. they were going to be making uh, main storyline films, but also these sort of solo films and not for lack of star Wars stories. Yeah. Right. The star Wars stories, which in fact, one of them was solo. And of course, because star Wars fans are, are, uh, self-sabotaging morons. We never got <laughs> we never got the Kenobi movie, which was the next one that was going to be produced. Was the Kenobi movie, and then it seemed like you probably wouldn't get Ian McGregor because he's a movie star. But then the series have kind of taken off, and I think that's made it easier to pitch this cast that they announced on a TV show because really TV show is in quotes now. Sure. Well, and Ewan McGregor has said forever, he would love a chance to go back and play Obi-Wan Kenobi. And for him, it was always, uh, you know, we'll have to see when they do it and we'll have to see how old I am. Because obviously Mm -hmm. if you're going to portray an Obi-Wan Kenobi between the end of revenge of the Sith and the beginning of a new hope, that's that 20 year period. You have to have an older person, like, Ewan McGregor has now is now as old as that character would be aged up. You know what I mean? He's the now the appropriate age to play the character between those two time frames. <laughs> but he he looks a lot better than uh, what's his name? Alec the, Guinness. Yes. <laughs> Interestingly enough, um, Alec Guinness Alec Guinness was much was a bit older than Obi Wan Kenobi was supposed to be in canon. In A yeah. New Hope, Obi Wan is supposed to be fifty six, but he's supposed to look like garbage because he's been living on a desert planet. And of course, the sun the and two the suns right ages you. So that was always the explanation. Obi Wan's actually supposed to be younger than you would guess, and that would add up because you well because you yeah because you look at like the age of Luke and Leia and you figure that out and yeah it just makes sense that he wouldn't be that old if he was the apprentice of their father or not the, the other way around he was right. the mentor the, me- of the mentor of their father well and alec guinness just was a guy who 
1977 was he he wasn't really even as old as he looked he he just yeah. looked older than we everyone well, people anyway. used to just look older that's just a thing you ever look at yeah, like that's true pictures of like old basketball like college basketball teams all the guys look like they're 35 <laughs> exactly yeah that's a good point but in any case we're getting sidetracked so let's talk about yes. uh if we can real quick let's talk about the cast and the sort of the people involved so ewan mcgregor reprising his role as obi-wan kenobi Joel Edgerton and Bonnie Peace are reprising their roles as the young Aunt Beru, well, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru. So you'll remember that Mm -hmm. Luke Skywalker was raised by his aunt and uncle, Owen Lars and Beru Lars, which were, had a brief appearance in Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, but of course were uh, in A New Hope and ended up being um, scorched skeletons, (laughs) scorched corpses. So it's pre that. It, yeah. <laughs> yes, it's before that. Um, also, super interestingly, Hayden Christensen will be reprising his role as Darth Vader. Hayden Christensen, too, he, uh, he's not this caliber of actor, but he gets like that Robert Pattinson treatment where like everybody discounts him because of his role in a, in a very popular movie series. Now, they're popular for different demographics and for different reasons, but Hayden Christensen isn't as bad of an actor as people put on. No, I think, in fact, he's, especially now, he's a quite a good actor, but it's interesting mm-hmm. to think in what capacity he will be appearing as Darth Vader because, of course, he was never the voice of Darth Vader. That was always James Earl Jones. So he's, yeah. but, but he's going to be wearing the suit which is interesting because Hayden Christensen isn't nearly as tall as, so David Prowse was the actor that was in the original Darth Vader suit. He was six foot nine. He was a bodybuilder. They picked him specifically because he was just a huge dude. I was going to say, it's like how they've picked like the guys who played Jason Voorhees. It's always just a big guy. That's why he doesn't like talk or have really any acting because they didn't hire actors. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. You know, they, they wouldn't have to do um, Hayden Christensen in in that role unless they had some reason for Anakin Skywalker perhaps to make an appearance uh, either in flashback mm-hmm. or in a dream sequence or a force vision or whatever because yeah for instance in Rogue One Seamus mm. Seamus <laughs> yeah Seamus he's a WWE wrestler that they got to put on the Va- the Vader suit just because he was a huge dude he and he again he did nothing but put on the okay. suit just yeah. for a fun fact. So I guess what I'm saying is it's interesting that he's reprising that role because they're, the only reason for them to do that would be if they had him doing something Anakin related, really. Yeah, and they don't even have like the excuse of like the voice changing over time because they have James Earl Jones do the well, <laughs> the often criticized and joked about no at the end of Revenge of the Sith. It'll be interesting to see James Earl Jones. I I. I mean, this might be his last hurrah if he does Darth Vader's voice. And if you heard, if you saw Rogue One, you know his voice was very weak then to be doing Darth Vader. So mm-hmm. I don't know if he'll be doing it or not. There are obviously... I mean, his voice wasn't like his... He wasn't as good as Mufasa in the the new Lion King. It's not a knock on him. He's just yeah. old and it's hard to do some of that stuff. And, yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, he was in coming to America and he just laid down the whole time. So he's an older guy. I, I, yeah. No knock on James Earl Jones. His voice isn't as strong as it was 40 years ago. <laughs> like that's not, that's not an, uh, uh, you know, a uh, knock on anyone. He's what we just, we established yeah. he's 90, he's 90 years old. In any case, I'll be interested to see who they get for that role. Or if it's, if they have Hayden Christensen, because they're going to have the Vader helmet off. There is this remark that mm-hmm. 
Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader will face off again. So it'll be interesting to see if somewhere in this series, it's supposed to be a limited run series, six episodes. They should do it like a new hope where it's just kind of swaying back and forth and it's not exciting at all. That would be, <laughs> that would be great. Have you ever seen, uh, uh, I've been, what is this like? Did somebody edit the fight to be better or something like yeah, that? Yeah, Somebody did a fan film that is it's awesome and is edited together with the original footage. SC 38 reimagined that scene is sc38 and they like did a look at okay. everyone out there google it it's star wars sc38 reimagined they inters they interspersed these like uh some like deep fake technology and these guys who are actually good saber fighters and like made the darth vader obi-wan fight more like what we see in the prequels and the sequels in any case mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see per- perhaps ewan mcgregor or Obi-Wan Kenobi and Darth Vader fighting again, because, you know, as far as we were concerned, they never saw each other between the end of Revenge of the Sith and the beginning of A New Hope, but that's never been explicitly said. We've just assumed that, right? Um, Also, so there are some other actors and actresses that are part of big properties. I mean, things obviously people would have heard of, like, oh, you know, The Queen's Gambit, Game of Thrones, of Kings and Prophets, The Fast and the Furious, etc., Homeland. Mm-hmm. Kumail Nanjiani is in it. I have to assume he's going to play either a droid or an alien <laughs> because somebody who's like that famous outside of Star Wars, they almost never give a face role to. They almost yeah. always put them behind some sort of makeup or or whatever, which is, I mean, that would be, he would play a really good, I mean, think about like Alan Tudyk as K2SO or Phoebe Waller-Bridger. And then... Uh, Jason Sudeikis was uh, wasn't he one of the stormtroopers when they were trying to shoot the can? Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, they almost they always. Yeah, yeah, they almost. If they give them lines in a Star Wars movie, they almost always have to put them behind some sort of a mask. So, mm-hmm. interest. It'll be interesting to see. But uh, I'm super hyped for that. I, I know a lot of Star Wars fans are super hyped for that. Again, limited run series. Originally, you have to assume the script for the Obi Wan Kenobi show was going to be based on him looking over a young Luke on Tatooine. Um, but of course, after the Mandalorian being a, a show about a loner keeping a kid safe, yeah, you kind of <laughs> have be. to s- assume that they've maybe made some tweaks here and there. Um, and that I also it's also possible we'll see like Liam Neeson appearing as a Force ghost in there, or even like a Yoda. Well, Yoda's still alive, so he can't be a Force ghost. But in any case, it'll be interesting to see. It's under production now. Deborah Chow, who directed a couple of episodes in season one of the Mandalorian as the director for the series. She's great. Um, Mm -hmm. Her episodes were the sin and the reckoning, which were two of the, like the most exciting episodes in the, in that season. And there, there brings you to the point of like, what makes these, uh, these blockbuster to television shows more effective is that they, they go full in now back in the day yeah. it used to be like cash grab type stuff. Right. You know, I was, I was looking up some of them cause I knew these examples existed, but like the bad examples, like Bill and Ted's excellent adventures. There was a one episode clerks one based off the, you know, the Kevin Smith film clerks. There was a Ferris Bueller show based yeah. off Ferris Bueller's day off where he just kind of ran around and did high school stuff, but it's never, it's not like John Hughes showed up and like worked on the Ferris Bueller show. Right. So 
Star Wars being able to keep their their top level talent from the actor standpoint and the writer director standpoint is is big for this. And that you know same thing going on with Marvel. Now the superhero ones do tend to to pick directors and you know in this case showrunners and stuff like that that are more not picked out of obscurity but like people who have like done good indie stuff yeah. and then they pick them up to to be in charge of this but you're still seeing these top actors that are you know blockbuster film stars that are showing up in these as in these television shows as well so that's been the thing that has elevated these blockbuster to, to tv show transitions is that they're keeping the the movie star aspect to it. Well, and you touched on this, and I think it's perfect for you to have lobbed me this softball of a segue. It used to be you made a TV series out of a movie because you wanted to make money. It was a cash grab always, and you just counted on the fact that people would watch the television show because of its association with the movie. Yes. Now, especially with streaming services, where Disney's going to get your money whether you whether you watch it or not, right? If you're subscribed to Disney+, Plus, they're going to have your money. Yeah. Now, especially with Disney, but I suspect the Lord of the Rings 2, though for different reasons, is all about world building. It's about being contemplative. It's about taking on topics that it would be hard to cover fully in a it would seem incomplete in a in a film. I mean, let's look at the Snyder cut as a really good example of a film made super unconventionally that could have just as easily been a short like a miniseries, right? Yes. WandaVision's big theme was grief and and the loss of a loved one and not being able to deal with it. And we're, you know, for so many people, that probably was very poignant to have lost someone in the past year. But what happens if you are one of the most powerful magic users in the universe and also can't deal with your grief? And then how difficult is is that to fit into a three-act structure of a movie, right. but a lot nicer to flesh out over an eight-episode or nine-episode run on a TV show? Well, in Falcon and Winter Soldier, what is it like to be... What is the reality of being a superhero, especially a superhero of color? You know, that's all, already been on display the, that Sam Wilson, who helped save the world, uh, can't get a loan f for his family's f you know fishing boat. Yeah, it's not a it's not a major loan. It's just like a normal small business loan. Right. Who gets in an argument with Bucky Barnes in the street and the cops come and pull their guns on him. Those are topics that it would be hard to tackle in a movie and actually spend time on them. Yeah. I mean, and it's not even if that they don't want to. It's just like movies have to be so exact with all the time they use. They can't waste any time in a movie. And not that this is a waste of time, but there's, they you know, dwell. like everything needs to like come back and th this needs to fit into this and lead into this and so on and so forth. Whereas an episode can of a TV show can focus on specific things. And then it's just like a theme of that episode, but it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to come back in the finale. But in a movie, you have to be cognizant of things like that so it limits what you can do you have to make cuts because you only want it to be a certain length and yeah a television show gives you so much more room to flesh all that stuff out well and even look at the mandalorian where not only could you spend time on some of these themes and the mandalorian still had like a planet of the week vibe with a lot of its episodes where it was just like bouncing from planet or job or whatever like the first episode of the second season with timothy oliphant you don't get that in a movie no you don't they're not gonna spend the first 40 minutes of the movie on a planet then where they fight something and then it's like see those guys they, they're not back especially on Tatooine right they're not going to spend 40 minutes on Tatooine yeah. and all it is is characters that you've only heard of if you've read the books mm -hmm. I, I also think how much they were able to build anticipation 
for the you know the final reveals of of the season two of the Mandalorian with the dark saber with Luke Skywalker showing up with you know with Ahsoka Tano being in the mix not for that last episode but you can't do that in a movie there's there's no way you aren't able to build anticipation for the big reveal in a movie the way you are in a TV show when you can spend literally hours doing it. And a TV show can also like ignore things for a while. Sure. Because like, it's just out there. Episodes come out, people talk about it and they're like, Oh, this is still out there in a movie. You have that pressure of like making sure people remember something. So you don't, it doesn't feel like at the end that this comes out of nowhere or it's like a deus ex machina that they're like, that is just threw that in there because it was convenient. You know, if you, if the dark saber is a thing, you'd have to mention it like once every half hour to an hour right. in a movie. And it's also worth noting that we are, you know, in the age of streaming services, we're also in the age of, of constant tethering to the internet. We've talked before about how the sequel trilogy of Star Wars, there are problems, but it largely was ruined by fan speculation and anticipation. WandaVision suffered from that, as good as WandaVision was, and as over a series of, of episodes, like even from week to week, it suffered from internet speculation. JLo and I were talking about this with the Snyder Cut. You and you and Eric hit on it when you were talking about, I think it was, or maybe this was a different thing I was watching. I don't know, that you could cut the Snyder Cut in half yes. and stop in the middle and it could be two movies. Right, we I think we did. about that. I think I also heard it on a YouTube video, so I'm I'm getting my Snyder Cut content. I'm sure we up. did not have that original of a thought there. Yes, I'm not <laughs> offended by that. Um, but either way, I, I heard it. I, I must have heard it from both. But either way, you could have cut that and I was like, oh, that would have been cool. Like, what if they did it like, you know, right when they had the idea to bring Superman back or right when they did it, but you don't, they don't end with that fight scene. Like the second movie starts with the fight scene or whatever. And then it could be like a reveal. Like, did they actually revive Superman? And then we were sitting there and we're like, yeah, but that would all be ruined because everybody would do internet sleuthing, which is just yeah. looking up call sheets and stuff and figure out, oh, Henry Cavill has been on set this whole time. He has to be in the movie. So Superman does come back. And that's what people do now. And it ruins things. Well, and to bring that point back around, the thing that a television and WandaVision maybe discredits me when I try to say this, but you can do more fan service with a TV show because you do have time. You can have throwaway stuff, right? That's only yeah. the only reason it's there is to like give uber fans something to like nibble on but to a lesser extent and of course this is hard like once you have a season of a show wrapped it's hard but not impossible to do this you can course correct if something happened in you know an episode of falcon and winter soldier and they absolutely knew that whatever was going to happen in next week's episode had to be cut or edited with new footage the last the latter is probably unlikely but it's Disney, the biggest media empire in the world. They could make right. some last-minute tweaks if they needed to, to some extent. But moreover, they can listen to what the internet hype is between seasons. They can have those little fan nuggets. They can make subtle changes to please the audience. Whereas a film is done, and it can't do that ever. It's Once it's done, it's done. With TV shows, like they get credit for like, here was the original idea for this. And there are obviously rewrites in movies and stuff, but like there, there aren't too many instances of this, but it happens where like movies come out and there's such an like averse reaction that studios like will do their best to like pull it and like try to change an ending. But then it, it doesn't, it doesn't get like the credit of being like a smart thing to do creatively. It's like a morally bankrupt thing to do right. because you're listening to the people too much. Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. And I'm, and I'm not, I, we again we don't have to beat a dead horse but 
I just wish people would try to enjoy things instead of just beating the crap out of things they supposedly love. But yeah, that, that's my thing is like a movie has to be really, really bad for me to like turn it off or like really like just crap on it because for the most part filmmakers and tv show makers do a good job of making the thing they're making entertaining you right. can go after the fact and you know nitpick and pick things apart and be like this didn't work for me and this wasn't very good but for the most part for the 90 minute 90 to 200 minutes or whatever you're watching a movie I will be entertained. It takes a lot for me to not be entertained, especially if I go to see it in the theater because I paid to do it. Right. I'm going to get my money's worth. And it usually accomplishes what was on the tin. Like you go into a low-budget horror movie knowing it's a low-budget horror movie. It accomplishes right. the thing. Even if it's not Citizen Kane, You did. hopefully you didn't expect it to be. Hopefully you didn't <laughs> expect whatever. Um, and I, I would say the same. For, I've always said that for Star Wars movies. Um Star Wars is not high art. I love Star Wars, but I don't put it in the it was it's been it's been innovative, it's been original, it's been, you know, imagination invoking, but it's not The Godfather. Like yeah. <laughs> and you shouldn't hold it to that kind of standard. It's supposed to be a cool, fun like again, imagination invoking or evoking experience, mm -hmm. but it's not I don't know, it's not Shakespeare. And it's not, and it, and it, it's not trying to be, and it shouldn't try to be. Right, exactly. It's not the point of it. Yeah, I agree with you. Part on of that. the argument people had against the prequels is that it was too much like Shakespeare. I mean, literally, it was Shakespearean, and it's it was it was a tragedy in the most classical theatrical yeah. sense. Right. You talked about like not caring for politics too much in your action series, and I'm that's not a uh, not a jab at you. I'm just saying you're saying like I don't know that I like the politics to be the front and center player. Like in world politics, mm -hmm. of a universe. Yeah, that's the, and yeah, it's not. It's not that I don't care about those things in the real world, and right. it's not that I don't care about movies that might focus on things like that. But that's not supposed to be what Star Wars is about. And when I turn, like you said, the expectations of filling those expectations. That's why the prequels are, you know, lower on the list for me than all the other Star Wars movies because you go in wanting a certain thing from a Star Wars movie, and the prequels deliver a little bit but not enough and they deliver too much of stuff you don't want i would but agree that in fact about. I, I would agree that in fact a movie about a galactic war should include politics and that and that the original trilogy probably didn't enough but in any case all the, right mr news <laughs> well <laughs> and we, i'm just messing with point you. being the the tv show especially in an age where now disney doesn't need your advertising dollars they already have yes. your money from a streaming service Amazon Prime doesn't need your advertising dollars. You're already paying for Prime. They can do these projects that are more fan service than cash grabs. That's the biggest difference now is the point of a television show is completely different than it was even 10, 15 years ago. The point of a television show is, okay, give me 22 minutes of content so I can have eight minutes of commercials and make it good enough that people watch the entire time and they come back every week to watch. This one, you still have to make sure they come back every week to watch, but you see it with these episode lengths. They don't care at all what the time frame is. Right. It can be 
an hour and 10 minutes for the finale. There can be an episode that's only 35 minutes. It doesn't have to be the same length. You don't have to fit it. Make sure that you have drops in the middle where they can go to commercial break because that's not the point of the product anymore. The point of the product is to bring people in because they want to see it and they subscribe and then that's it. Now you can, as long as your content is something people want to see, make it however you want. Right, and and worth noting for like Disney and Amazon, the money they're making is it certainly comes through the subscriptions from the the you know the service but a lot of the money they're making is in the stock market disney's stock goes up huge when they release wandavision or falcon and winter soldier or the mandalorian amazon's stock goes up huge when they announce a lord of the rings television series or whatever that's where they're making their money <laughs> <laughs> Those upfronts really aren't for the fans, even though fans like to talk about them and be like, oh, look at all this stuff, this new releases they talk about. And here's the schedule of the, the Marvel and phase four. And right. that's not really for the fans. That's for investors who continue to go, oh, this is what you're going to put out. And these people spend a billion dollars every time you do. Sure. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, the the point is I I will speak. I won't speak for you. I love it. I think it's a great thing. I think it's good that these studios are wising up on the idea that these big franchises that are now so big and so have such broad universes to deal with and such horrible implications for the company if they have a film that bombs, go go with these TV series. Spend spend time on it. Spend money and talent on making them pensive and thoughtful and deal with big issues and and let us ruminate on things from week to week and i i think it's exactly the right direction i'm here for it amen <laughs> you mentioned ruminating on things week to week and disney plus has been doing this with all their series even down to like high school musical the musical the series right they release it once a week and then amazon did that with the boys the second season at least and people weren't too happy with that but i wonder if maybe a netflix or somebody else takes notice and says maybe this is something to to keep somebody because a lot of times too when you're into one show you might just binge it and then not think about that streaming service at all but disney plus i have to open at least once a week yeah because every week there's a well when they're in season with the show every week there is a new episode think about this right now they're in season almost all the time the mandalorian yeah. ended not too long thereafter we got wandavision it ended two weeks later we got falcon and winter soldier and as far as i can tell isn't loki dropping two weeks after falcon and winter soldier ends and that's what they're going to try to do to keep you on disney yep. plus so that not only do you do that but you you see more value in it because you're opening it every week and then maybe you know when their price goes up you I don't know. Maybe you ditch Netflix and keep Disney Plus. And their price Something did like just that. go up a dollar, and none of us well, thought twice about it, right? Um, exactly. And and worth noting, the anticipation factor. We talked about this on on this show. I got up at three in the morning, reliably for nine weeks to watch episodes of The Mandalorian for season two, at least. We did some of that for season one, but like, and I know I'm not alone. I know people. Mm -hmm. you, you know when those shows are on. One of the most Googled phrases around it is, when does the next Mandalorian drop? And it's like 3 a.m. on Friday, blah, blah, blah. So when Disney can create that much hype, and again, I anticipate the Lord of the Rings series will have that kind of hype because I too big to fail as far as I'm concerned. I don't, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be a whole lot they could do to tank that when the subject material is there and the fan base is there. Well, and it, yeah, as you, as you mentioned, with all the stuff, the only reason Game of Thrones 
you know, kind of, you know, puttered out at the end is because they ran out of source material. And with Lord of the Rings, it's all they run out of source material. Right. Yeah. In fact, there's more than they'll ever be able to cover. And I, my understanding is they've at least signed on for three seasons, but with the idea of doing like six or seven or eight, and you could, you're still not going to cover all the material that's out there. (laughs) And the other great thing about the, the shift of what TV shows have to do is they are allowed to, while also making the episodes the length they want, they only have to do six to 10 episodes per season instead of the 22 to 25 episode run that a, a full a full order series yeah. has to do on NBC or something like that, which means there are there are downer episodes. There's episodes where nothing really happens. There's not that bottle episodes are wholly bad because some series do a really good really good things with bottle episodes, but generally on a network TV show, a bottle episode is just time filler. Yeah. For people who don't know bottle episodes, it one, it saves a ton of money because they, they just put the main cast on in one, one location yeah. and then that's all the, and they just film something and they, they have one little thing going on. And those can be entertaining, but a lot of times on network shows that's just filler. Right. I think maybe one of the per- most perfect examples of one done well is the Breaking Bad episode with Walter and with Jesse fly. in the meth lab with the fly. Yep. Right. Yeah, it's one of those things that once you know about it, it's like a production trick you can't unsee. But it's like about you probably about ten minutes into an episode, you're like, oh, it's a bottle yeah. episode, and you, you figure it out. But and to that point too, we you know we talked about this with the Snyder cut. The Kenobi series is going to be six episodes. And I think that's it. I think it's one and done six episodes. You can get away with making a six episode miniseries about Obi-Wan Kenobi's life as a hermit in the desert way more easily than you could green light a four and a half hour movie, right? <laughs> it's right. like the Snyder Cut problem. You yes. can you can get that greenlit way more easily than you can this this movie that like yeah, huge Star Wars fans would go to see a four hour Obi-Wan Kenobi movie in theaters. But you're not going to get the casual money that way. And, and it tricks it tricks the viewer because the viewer is going to watch something that amounts to four, four and a half hours of episodes, but probably wouldn't turn on the the movie unless right. it uh, unless it gets a ton of buzz. I bet the Snyder Cut has picked up. But when it first came out, you know, I was I was more impressed with it than I thought I was going to be. When it first came out, I was like it's four hours long. If we weren't <laughs> doing a podcast episode on it, I probably wouldn't have watched the Snyder Cut, at least not especially not in that first week. Yeah. Agreed. I probably wouldn't have either, especially based on the reception of the original movie, the theatrical cut, yeah. the Whedon cut. One last thing I wanted to cover before yeah. we get out of here. I think we've reached the conclusion, but is there a film series that hasn't jumped to television that you would you would like to see? I was trying to think uh, Indiana Jones might be a fun one if they... There, if, was, there was one. Okay. The young Indiana Jones TV show was the, the spinoff TV series. Featuring a young, a young Henry Jones Jr. Okay, so there was already an Indiana Jones. I was also thinking, like, would there be any like good um, horror films that could do that? And then I was thinking, well, the problem is all the slasher villains are stoic giant men, boogeymen who don't really say anything except for Freddy Krueger. Yeah, I think you could build a pretty decent world out of Nightmare on Elm Street with all the joke sequence or not joke, all the uh, dream sequences. And Freddy Krueger is a, a pretty deep character, and his history is much more robust than some of these other characters. So I think you could get it done with that one. I also mentioned Harry Potter, and then I think Fast and the Furious will probably do it eventually. Yeah, whenever uh, 
whenever Universal has whatever streaming service they're going to do, they're with NBC, so maybe they're on Peacock. Maybe that's a place to put it. Wherever that that can happen, I think that's that's something because they have so many characters. You're not going to get all the cast there, but they have so many characters and so many things they can do. Why not just do a ridiculous television show where you go do ridiculous uh, <laughs> Fast and Furious things? I I haven't thought about this question until you just asked it. Obviously, some of my favorite franchises there we've just talked about are already doing this. I think one movie franchise that could successfully get a television show and actually could have an interest, something interesting to say about it might be Alien. Yeah. You might be able to have a long-form atmospheric horror. It probably would have been a better way to go than the way they went with Prometheus and Alien Covenant. Because Ridley Scott had grander ideas for right. that. And I liked Prometheus, but some people really liked to pick it apart. And then they kind of just took the second one. Instead of going the direction he went, they just like wrote off everything from that and then just made it another alien movie, an alien covenant. I think if you took the like the the misadventures of the crews of the Wayland Yutani Corporation mm-hmm. and had turned that into a TV series and like had it kind of merge together with some of the commando stuff of aliens, you might be able to make a television series out of it. Yeah. Do something like what happened, you know, in aliens and it doesn't have to be the exact story of that one, but something like what happened to that, that colony in aliens yeah. before the space Marines and uh, Ripley went back. Yeah. It's hard. To well, you know, think. like what's going on in that world. Then are they dealing with just wild xenomorphs or something like that? Yeah. It's hard to think about a series that, that lends itself well to television and it, you know, lends itself well to episodic storytelling because it has to be one with a larger world is the first thing I think you need. And alien has one, like you said, there, there is lore out there that, that is, and, and I don't know if you're aware of this, there are alien like role-playing games that are officially licensed that have all kinds of lore and history that you could draw from. Yeah. That are like apparently, part of the original script writer's conception and Ridley Scott's conception, et cetera. Shoot. I don't know. That's tough. It's tough because it's easy to do it really badly. <laughs> yes. Especially as we've talked about for cash grabs. I mean, the fact that you were like, Indiana Jones could have one. No, they, they did that. It wasn't great. It was fine, but it wasn't, you don't know. You've never heard of it because it didn't catch on. Yeah. Well, that's like why I was talking about like the slasher ones. Like, yeah, you could do a Friday the 13th, the series, but it would just be like a really stretched out movie of like a quiet guy killing a bunch of kids at a summer camp. Yeah. And it's hard to think like now. Pulp Fiction has a Pulp large Fiction. enough world, even though it's a tiny movie. Yeah. Because there's so many different things they're pulling yeah. from. I think if you like took that world and maybe like made the Quentin verse like a thing, like the Tarantino verse, and like maybe there's a little bit of Reservoir Dogs, there's a little bit of Pulp Fiction, and you kind of combine all that. You would almost have to take the sort of crime ring that the Reservoir Dogs were a part of, you know, the, the misters with the color names, and turn that yeah. into a crime organization and follow their stuff and then have occasional cut-ins from the other side characters that you see that is a good you know what then that has a fan enough of a fan base that it could probably do okay quentin tarantino wouldn't let it happen but i don't know and i don't know what streaming service would let uh quentin tarantino <laughs> stylized violence rings. on every week yeah yeah i don't know it's not gonna go on disney plus i know that uh, yeah and and it's not like he can get away with some of the stuff he's historically been able to get away with in some of those films yeah, for, for good reason. Too. For good reason, he can't get away with it. Anyway, so folks, uh, thanks for tuning in once again. And uh, as always, we'd love to know 
Mark, you pose a great question. Twitterverse, we'd like to know from you if there is a movie that you think could be successfully adapted into television series. Let us know that. You can find us on Twitter at NerdAssoc. That's N-E-R-D underscore A-S-S-O-C. You can also find us by emailing us uh, at NerdAssoc at gmail.com. Let us know your show ideas, things you'd like for us to talk about or propose some ideas. Maybe you can come on and be one of our nerds. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.